Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, Sirius XM Channel 141 at 96.3 HD2. This is the Insight Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. February is American Heart Month and a reminder for all of us to focus on our heart health. According to the CDC, it remains the leading cause of death for men, women, and people of most racial and ethnic groups in America. One person dies every 33 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease. Why is that? Well, we're talking about it on this Medical Monday. My guest is cardiologist Dr. Quinn Capers, chair of the Department of Internal Medicine at the Howard University College of Medicine. You can X me at hfisherwhur or find me on, on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Dr. Capers, thank you so much for joining the conversation. Well, thank you, Harold. It really is a pleasure to be here. I'm honored. Sure thing. I, I, I need to jump right into this because I'm always fascinated that the the statistics, the facts about heart disease never seem to change. As I just said, it remains uh, one of the biggest killers in America. Why is it that it is so difficult to get a handle on? Well, you know, if you think about it, from the from the time, uh, within a few weeks of the time we're conceived in our mother's womb, that heart is beating, and it beats every day, uh, approximately one beat per second our entire lives. So it is a hard-working organ. And there are a lot of things in our environment, uh, a lot of things that we're exposed to that over the years can, uh, can cause heart disease. Now, the, as it turns out, the, the death rates from heart disease have gone down, but death is still uh, most likely to be from cardiovascular disease in this country. And so the reason for that is because uh, although these death rates have gone down, uh, it used to be that cardiovascular disease was by far the number one cause of death and cancer was a distant second. But heart disease rates have gone down, and now cancer is closer, but heart disease is still number one. Um, there's a lot uh, that we can do to protect ourselves, but this is this is the scourge of, of Western society, heart disease, cardiovascular disease. You know, I remember as a kid, a lot of times, and, you know, for those of us who were not in the medical field, we would all, we would often hear that, if someone had a heart attack, it was considered natural causes. That has changed considerably, I would imagine, as we have learned so much more about heart disease. What changed? Well, most heart disease is preventable. Uh, we're all going to die one day. And so, in a sense, you could say that ultimately, if somebody is 105 years old and has a heart attack, that that's natural causes. But the natural causes really, I think, belies the fact that a lot of heart disease, stroke, heart failure, a lot of it is preventable, or at least you can delay its onset by doing some of the things that can be healthy for your heart and your blood vessels. Run those down for me, please, if you could. The kinds of things that bombard our heart and our blood vessels and put us at risk for stroke, a heart attack, or having our heart suddenly stop, cardiac arrest, are things that are treatable and preventable, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, which is a form of fat circulating in the bloodstream, untreated diabetes, 
cigarette smoking, lack of exercise, and stress. Those are things that we call risk factors. And while you have one or two or three risk factors that may put you at risk for heart disease and for a heart attack, the good news is that if you control those risk factors, so if you have high blood pressure, if it's treated, if you have high cholesterol, if it's treated, if you have diabetes, if it's treated, if you treat those risk factors, your risk goes down. So that's why we don't like to say natural causes because that makes it sound like it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But if you treat some of these risk factors, you really can avoid uh, heart disease or at least uh, delay it for a very, very, very long time. This is our Medical Monday conversation. This is American Heart Month. We are talking about your heart health and how to address it. So, you know, Dr. Capers, one of the things that you mentioned, you talked about risk factors, for example. Well, those are the things that are on the outside. But from your perspective as a physician, when you are talking to a patient whom you know has heart disease, um, when you're, do, do you see it under an X-ray? Is it something that you that you can tell in an in an MRI? How how do you know as a physician? There are tests that tell us that there's something going on with the blood vessels and the heart. There are certain MRIs, there are certain uh, CAT scans or CT scans, certain X-rays, and probably the most commonly done test is called an electrocardiogram or an EKG, which is a tracing of the electricity running through your heart. They can give us some uh, evidence that you have some underlying heart disease. But it can also be very sneaky. And I'm sure many of your listeners know of someone who had a heart attack or some heart catastrophe, and they were just at the doctor's. So they just saw they just saw a doctor. They just had a checkup. They were told everything is fine, and then the next week they have a heart attack. And that's because some of these things are uh, invisible unless you happen to do the right test. And sometimes we have this disease growing in us silently until we have uh, a catastrophe. Mm. So that's something that we all have to be careful of. And that's why it's so important for us to know the things that put you at risk and to know the kinds of questions that you should ask your doctor. So if you have a family history of heart disease, you know, if, you're, if, if one or both of your parents had a heart attack or your grandparents or your aunts and your uncles, you should know that and your doctor should know that. Because if your doctor knows that, they know to be looking out for other things like your cholesterol, your blood sugar, your blood pressure, because all of these things add up. So what if you don't have a history of heart disease in your family and you are going to see your doctor? Should you still be concerned? What kind of questions should you be asking? One of the most important things is for you to tell your doctor what you're feeling. What are your, um, uh, you know, what do you feel when you get up and move about every day? Your doctor needs to know if you're having discomfort in your chest, especially discomfort that feels like a tightness, pressure, squeezing, especially if that's associated with difficulty breathing. So if you have a heaviness in your chest and you're short of breath, your doctor absolutely needs to know about that. 
if you're getting more short of breath than usual when you climb a flight of stairs or when you play with your kids, your doctor needs to know about that. If you're getting dizzy when you stand up more than usual, your doctor needs to know about that. If your legs are swelling, if you look down at your feet and your feet are swelling and that's new for you, your doctor needs to know about that. So one of the most important things you can do is tell your doctor what's going on with you and then answer your doctor's questions truthfully or as, 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 as best you can. In the, in the black community, who is most at risk and why? Well, it turns out that blacks do tend to suffer some of these risk factors more than other races. They tend to have higher rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and uh, being overweight or obesity. And we now know uh, that a lot of that is simply because of some systemic barriers and racism in our society. A lot of those things have to do with the fact that we uh, have had, for instance, housing segregation based upon racial lines. And so many black people might live in communities where the air is not clean, the water is not clean, they don't have uh, green spaces, which is good for your mental health, and they don't have uh, good places where it's safe for you to go out and be active and exercise every day. Not to mention, you might live in what we call a food desert, where you don't have grocery stores or good markets to buy fresh fruit and vegetables, but you have a Popeye's chicken on every corner or McDonald's, um, and all this leads to the blacks who live in those communities having a higher rate of being overweight and having high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes. Is those it... Risk, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your point. So those risk factors then uh, unfortunately lead to higher rates of heart attacks uh, and other forms of heart disease. So obviously all of those factors that you mentioned, and we've spoken about these things at great length uh, on this program for years, but something that just struck me, are you suggesting that perhaps there are black people who are more affluent? Are their risks uh, lower than those who may live in those communities where they don't have access to health care, where they don't uh, have access to fresh fruits, vegetables, uh, green space, and the like? Yes. The, the answer is yes. So uh, what you're talking about is what we call socioeconomic status, uh -huh. which means the level of education, uh, level of income, and, you know, if you've got a higher education and a higher income, you can live in a neighborhood where the air is cleaner, where the water is cleaner, where you have access to the best doctors and the best hospitals. And yes, black people who are more affluent do tend to have better health outcomes than black people who are less affluent. And that's really true for any race. Uh, white people who have more access to uh, money and the things that money can buy tend to have better health than white people who uh, are of lower socioeconomic status. But what we find and uh, what is really interesting is that uh, blacks who are, say, upper middle class or even wealthy blacks, 
still don't have the same health outcomes as wealthy whites. And that's because there are a lot of things that money can buy, but unfortunately it appears that the stress and the wear and tear on the body from being black uh, in a society where racism is still a big problem, that can still impact your health. How do you know if you're having a heart attack? We know that men and women present differently, but kind of run through kind of the symptoms for men as opposed to or compared to those that women may experience. And if you wouldn't mind explaining why do men present differently when it comes to heart attacks when compared to women? Well, I'll start with the last part first, because that's the easiest. We don't really know. We don't really know why women tend to, uh, more often than men, have what we call unusual or atypical or non-classical symptoms. But here's what's really important for your uh, listeners to know. The most common symptom of a heart attack is chest discomfort. That's the most common symptom for men and for women. And that elephant sitting on the chest, uh, pressure on the chest, especially with uh, shortness of breath, that uh, is the most common symptom of a heart attack. We call those the classical symptoms because they're so very common. Now, women tend to have more often than men the symptoms that are not quite typical. And that can be discomfort that's not in the chest, but it's in the back or in the arm or in the stomach, down in the abdomen. Uh, Women might not have any discomfort at all. It might be more shortness of breath, just difficulty breathing that just doesn't seem to make sense to you. Or sometimes it can be just profound fatigue, just an overwhelming sense of fatigue. Those are what we call the atypical or unusual symptoms, just because they're not as common. But um, it it, it would be wrong to think that women don't have chest pain. They do. It's just that they have more of these atypical symptoms than do men. And the the man's uh, symptoms, we often see dramatized on... In movies and the like, men often, you know, find themselves grabbing their left arm or pain in in the chest and the like. Why, why is that? So, what a heart attack is, it's when a sudden cut off of blood flow to the heart muscle, and so the nerves in the heart uh, uh, are, are really just start going. Uh, very active and causing severe pain that again feels like a heaviness, an ache, a pressure, a squeezing. And because of kind of how the body develops from uh, infancy, some of these nerves are out on the left arm, maybe along running down the left aspect of the arm, down the elbow and into your pinky and your ring finger. And so sometimes the pain is what we call referred to the arm, to the shoulder, to the neck, or uh, to the, uh, we call the ulnar aspect of the arm. If you hold your arm out in front of you, uh, the side of your arm with your pinky and your ring finger. So sometimes the pain goes in that place, and that has to do with 
the way the body develops and, and then the, the pathways that the nerves take when the body is in its developing stage. How do you know the difference between heartburn and a heart attack? Such a good question. It can be really difficult to, to, to know. There are a few hints, though. So I've, I've taken care of patients that suffer from both. They suffer from what we call angina, which is heart pain due to blocked arteries, and they happen to have uh, heartburn. Now, the medical term for heartburn is gastroesophageal reflux disease, and what that means is that the acid that helps you digest your food, mm-hmm. which should stay in the stomach, it leaks. It leaks up into your esophagus, and it burns, and, and that can really uh, hurt, and it can feel very similar to heart attack pain or to that angina. There are a few tips, though. One thing about heart problems, whether it's shortness of breath from a heart problem or chest discomfort from a heart problem, exertion or activity makes it worse. So if you're having pressure in your chest and you get up and walk across the room and that walking across the room makes it worse or carrying your grocery bags make it worse or riding your bike makes it worse, that should get your attention that this just might be your heart. Gastroesophageal reflux disease or acid reflux or heartburn does not really get worse with exercise. So that's one particular clue. Hmm. Another clue can be that acid reflux is usually worse after a meal. So after you eat a meal, you know, 30 minutes after dinner or maybe 30 minutes after breakfast or 30 minutes after a snack, you start to feel that burning. That's more often the pattern that acid reflux takes. Yeah, yeah. Heart pain, heart pain doesn't necessarily uh, get aggravated after eating a meal. Dr. Quinn Capers, you have shared quite a bit with us uh, during this truncated edition of The Daily Drum. I really appreciate all of the information, and I hope that our listeners take all of the information uh, to heart. Thank you so much for your time, sir. You're very, very welcome. Have a good evening. That is The Daily Drum for this Monday, February 26th. John Mons is next with the original Quiet Storm on WHUR. I'm Harold Fisher. Good night.